This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 117 of the Laravel News Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us again. We have got a good show for you. We've got 10 items to go through. It's going to be a good one. It's going to be a quick one. So uh, stick with us and we're going to we're gonna roll through all these. We've got some really cool things uh, coming up and some things that were released that you're not going to want to miss. So let's start with the Laravel releases. Michael, you want to jump us into Laravel 7.6? This is a jam-packed one, by the way. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in here. Packed. Jam packed. Loads of features, lots of changes, lots of fixes, lots of, you know, all the good stuff. Yeah. You're scrolling for days. Do you have any colloquialisms in uh, the Aussie lingo for jam pack? Do you guys have any of your own anything over there? No? Nothing you can think of? Jam packed is probably the safest thing I can say on this podcast. <laughs> I was going to say a lot of the Australian ones aren't necessarily podcast safe. Right, unless you want that no. little e tag next to the podcast mm. on the on your feed, that explicit tag. Yeah, 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 yeah. Probably won't say it. We'll just leave it as jam packed. But this is a jam packed release. The Laravel team released version seven point six of the Laravel framework on the fourteenth of April with thirteen new features, along with latest fixes and changes for the seven X branch. So here we go. JMac has contributed a new collection until method that takes items in the collection until the condition is true. It's, uh, previously, you might have used something like partition to separate different values. So if you wanted to find all of the items in your list that were less than the number 11, you could use partition, Whereas, and then you'd have to do a whole you know, array destructuring uh, list syntax or whatever it's called. So you'd have to go before, comma, after, inside square brackets equals primes partition. And then um, now you can just do primes until, and there you go. Method takes either a closure or a value to compare against with your collection. This seems like a, a do while sort of loop, right? Like instead of like a for each, it's like a do while, like where you have like an incrementing incrementer. You know what I'm talking about? And then you just say, as long mm -hmm. as it's less than this particular number, keep going sort of yeah. deal, right? So the, you can say until, and then you can pass a simple integer like 11 and it'll say like only do it 11 times. But it looks like it says you can also pass a closure, right? So it'd evaluate this particular closure each time mm -hmm. as well and then it keeps going until that closure is true yeah. until the closure is false it could type and until items until false. a condition no so hold on it says until method that takes items in the collection until a condition is true that's no, the opposite yeah until the condition inside so it'll keep iterating through your collection until you get a true so item in the in this instance we've got in a collection of numbers so you'd have one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve and it would iterate through them and keep returning items until you get to item is less or while item is 11. Anyway, look, we're trying to dissect code. Jake, you, Sorry. you tricked me. I tricked you, you tricked again. me into this. Tricked you again. Sorry. Tricked me. Sorry, everyone. Check out the show notes. It'll be there. It'll make sense. I promise. Next, we have a contribution from Mark Vanderbroek, which is a convenience method, which is a few convenience methods for the stringable and HTML string classes. First, we have a HTML string is empty method, which makes checking an empty instance much more convenient. 
Previously, you would have had to have done something like if empty string to HTML, whereas now you can just do string is empty. And secondly, Mark contributed the is not empty, which is a convenient for the a convenience method for the stringable class. So you can do a stringable is not empty um, and, and go from there. Ryan Chandler contributed ltrim and rtrim methods to the stringable class as well to trim characters at the beginning and end of strings. So thanks to Ryan for that one. And at dsazup contributed the ability to skip middleware when defining a route. So if you had globally defined middleware, I would say in the example here, we've got verify CSRF token. You could say route get slash something arrow skip middleware and then pass the name of the middleware class or string that you want to skip. So if on us, I'm wondering if this works for a group as well. Like if you have a group of things, so like, for example, if you have something that typically requires that you're logged in and for whatever reason, like maybe in this group, you're applying a prefix and a middleware or something, and you just want to apply the prefix, but you don't want to apply the middleware. If within that group, mm -hmm. you could say skip middleware and then specify which middleware to skip. I'm not sure. This looks like super interesting, though. I've, I feel like I've needed this a couple of times where like I want to not apply middleware that otherwise would apply in like some special mm -hmm. instance. So this is pretty interesting. I like this. Yeah. Hey, sorry. And I know I keep jumping in. I did have one other thing real quick. Do you, have you ever used HTML, this HTML string or the stringable classes? Not directly. No, no me either. No. Are these new or has these always existed? No, these are, so this is part of your responsibles. The HTML string, for example, is responsible, which um, the blade, uh, yeah, sure. when a compiled blade returns an instance of this, so that you can call to HTML on it or whatever. I know that the Blade, uh, Adam Wathen's Blade SVGs use that as well. So it's just a, another way of returning HTML, I suppose, to to the user. And then you've got the stringable class itself, which is like you can tie up, a, you can instantiate a stringable by just saying new stringable and then passing in the, the text that you want. And then you basically mm -hmm. have this Fluent API that you can apply to us. So Altrim, Rtrim. So instead of having to wrap it in a bunch of different calls, you just fluently call one after the other yep. to kind of manipulate your string. I think we have talked yeah. about that before, but I forgot about this. So this is interesting. Good yeah. reminder. I don't I don't know that the stringable is different to the string class, or maybe it's the same thing that was released in Laravel 7. I think that's what it is. I think that's what it is. No, I think you're yeah. right. It is like the one that was released with Laravel 7, I believe. Yeah. Yep. Very good. Cool. Sorry. Okay. Uh, Carry on, my friend. Cool. Carry on. Next up, Adrian Nuremberger added to the HTTP client the ability to get a JSON response as an object. So you now have a object method to return a JSON response body as an object instead of having it automatically converted to an associative array. So thanks to Adrian there, in, instead of calling HTTP colon colon get arrow JSON and then having a um, an associative array returned, you can use the arrow object method and get the response from the JSON as an object, which is always nice rather than having to chop and change between arrays and objects and trying to remember whether you've got one or the other. So thanks to Adrian for that. Next up, a contribution from Dries Vince was the ability to set a component alias name. I'll quote him here directly. I have a use case where I want to conditionally render the contents of a component based on its alias name. For example, when you have an SVG component and use the x colon heroicon dash o dash bell syntax, it is alias to a component as follows. Um, so there's just some stuff that you can set up in one of your service providers, blade colon colon component, and then the name of the component class, and then the alias to that. 
Um, it's much cleaner than having to do, for example, X colon SVG and then passing um, name as an attribute. So you can alias a whole bunch of different things all to the same class, which in the context of this icons package that, that Dries is working on, it's much nicer in terms of being able to just do like X dash heroicon dash O dash bell instead of having to do X and then name and whatever. So um, again, trick myself into... So I am curious about that. I am curious about that one. So basically what it seems like it's doing is, like you said, like you have a bunch of different components that you want to render using the same class, using the same component class. So in this case, the SVG class. And by mm -hmm. uh, having this new component name item, you can reference them in your blade by just calling X and, and then whatever the alias component And then whatever the is. alias is. And then the mm -hmm. class itself that you're calling and the underlying whatever, we'll pick that up as dollar sign component name, I'm assuming, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it makes that mm -hmm. dollar sign component name available yeah. to it. That's interesting. Yep. Cool. Okay. So it allows you to have one class that right. just swaps right. things out internally rather than having to have, you know, a hundred classes Correct. that are all basically the same thing with a different name. Yeah, 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 exactly. No, that's super mm -hmm. smart. Yeah. And like you said, for this specific instance, it makes total sense. Uh, and this goes along with his package that I think we might have talked about last time, actually, which is... Yeah, the, the blade icons. Yeah, yep. Blade icons. Well, the, yeah, and that's that's been... I don't know if we've got an article about it, but he announced recently that he's taking over Adam Wathen's Blade SVG package. Oh, good, yeah. And he'll combine that with the Heroicons thing and it'll have a, a single UI. It'll handle all of that, the same uh, interfaces and the same um, Blade components and things like that. So um, I've used that package heaps trying, of time, times. I love that thing. Yeah. It's great. We'll, uh, we'll include a link in the show notes to that as well for you to check out. Next up, Niels Falskov contributed an eloquent collection, a pen method to append specific attributes across hmm. a collection. So previously, you would have to iterate through each of your collection items and then append to each of those items. Whereas now you can just call collection append and pass it the name of an attribute and it will automatically do that for you under the hood. So thanks to Niels for that. That's interesting. At Ryan Dadeng contributed method level support that complements queued listeners retry after property for more advanced use cases. Uh, I won't begin to explain that one. I think previously check that out. I think previously it might have been just a property and now it's actually a method, right? Is that the difference here? So retry after was previously probably just like accepted an integer or something. Mm -hmm. And now it's just a method or an optional method, I suppose. Sounds smart. Yeah. Doing doing things like that in in methods is usually easier as well, especially if you if you're expecting downstream contributors to, who knows, you know, if you've got thousands of people using your packages or your framework in this instance, you don't know what kind of conditions people are going to be in, and if you provide things as a property as opposed to as a method, it makes it much easier to, uh, or sorry, if you provide it as a property rather than a method, it makes it much more difficult to extend that functionality if you need to do something beyond just an arbitrary number or a true false or something. Yeah, for sure. So that's that's nice and clean. Next up, we've got Jacob Arbet contributed the ability to support the new snapshot versions of Composer 2, which is not yet reached stable, but it is available for people to start using. And this allows you to not only use the new version 2 Composer.json format, but also remain backward compatible with the older versions of Composer. The format of vendor composer installed.json was changed in the latest snapshot version of composer breaking the package auto discovery. So this PR fixes that backward compatibility with the older versions of composer as well, which is very handy. And um, the last thing we need is every single person's Laravel application to break I, I'm not, upgrade to the new version of composer. Yeah, I'm not, I haven't used composer 2 yet. Have you? I have not. No, I've been too busy trying to get work done, the last thing I need is for Composer to stop working. Seriously. It was like one of those things where yeah. uh, Wilbur Powery the other day upgraded Yarn with Brew 
and it broke mm-hmm. all of his PHP stuff. <laughs> uh, yes. Like, yeah. Oh. Always asking for trouble. Every time I update PHP, I have to go and ballet, restyle, reinstall, and get everything working. And uh, then yeah. I've got I've got some extensions installed out of Peckle, which means that they will break because they're referencing like the mm-hmm. seven point four point right, three, exactly. and then I have to change the seven point seven point four point four. Um, I wish it was easier, but it only happens once every few months. Yeah, true story. Lastly here, Matthew Matthew Tudisco contributed support for using the change method with a UUID column, which previously caused a unknown column type UID requested error. So thanks to Matthew for that. Uh, that is all of the Whew. additions to this release. Uh, as we said, 13 of them. The one other thing that I will note here is that the Elixir helper function has been deprecated. So if you are still using Elixir in your applications on Laravel 7, what are you doing with yourselves? I'm just kidding. I know that it can be sometimes difficult uh, to move from Elixir to Mix, but just as a heads up, the Elixir function has been deprecated and has been marked for removal in a future release. I assume it'll be um, marked for release in Laravel 8. So it's time to start migrating your old Elixir to Laravel Mix. But that is all for this release 7.6. I will kick over to Jake to talk about 7.7. This is going to be a fun one because I didn't prep for this. I I looked through 7.6 before the the show. I did not look through 7.7. So we're going to go for it. Here we go. The Laravel team released 7.7 yesterday, which would have been April 21st with container support for variadic constructor arguments, as well as a handful of new HTTP client features, a raw index blueprint method. Thank you, Jonathan Rennick, and all the latest new features, fixes, and changes. So here we go. Array access support to the HTTP client get requests. So Daniel Mason contributed array access support for HTTP client get requests. So what this means is that previously you would have had, actually not previously, you have HTTP get, and then you have the address that you're going to be sending that through to. And then as a second argument, you can pass through an array that will have uh, your key and your value for, I suppose, what you would be sending as in your URL request, right? In your get, and then it would say question mark, foo, whatever, equals bar, whatever you might have there, right? So uh, that will just uh, make it really simple for you to, create get requests instead of having to specify those in the URL itself. You can specify them as in a second argument and it will kind of append those onto that URL for you and kind of auto build that out. So that's kind of cool. Nice. We also have an HTTP client having an assert sent count uh, assertion. So Christoph Rumpel uh, contributed this. And what this will do is it will assert the expected number of requests that were sent. Uh, so you, uh, uh, assert sent count uh, is zero, maybe something like that. And then you uh, do your assertions or you do your run your code and see if in fact it would send count zero or in, the, or in another case, you could say something like assert count two or four or five or whatever it might be. Uh, you now have that ability to assert that it was sent an X number of times. So thank you, Christoph. Ability to create indexes as exceptions with raw index. So Jonathan Rennick contributed this. I think he's got a whole blog post out there about this actually. Uh, as he normally does, a really good explanation mm-hmm. and tutorial as to how you might use this. Uh, but basically, the long and short of it is that you now have the ability to add indexes uh, using a raw DB raw statement, essentially. Uh, so in this case, he has alter table users, add index, birthday index, and then he you know creates this complex index for how this might work. It makes it a lot easier to do that. 
and uh, builds it right into that blueprint uh, class that you use in all of your migrations. So it looks a lot nicer and you don't have to have a separate DB statement outside of your schema create mm -hmm. stuff in there. So check that out. It's in the show notes. I, I'm not going to go through explain all of it and to be real honest i read the blog post but i couldn't explain it to you anyway uh it's it's good <laughs> if i read it again i'm sure i could explain it <laughs> but uh jonathan rennick's stuff is solid gold man i think he's not yeah. done with his eloquent eloquent course yet but i think he's working on it and a lot of these I things the, are coming from that i feel like yeah i caught up with him the other day and i think he's got most of the coursework planned out it's just a matter of sitting down and recording everything now so definitely looking at that course coming out and picking it up. We've all got a little bit of extra free time on our hands at the moment. So plenty of time to figure out how to fix and make our eloquent queries more performant. I have recently been, when I'm needing to display like drop downs and things like that, that are driven from the database mm -hmm. and values in the database, I've stopped returning the models and just selecting only the fields that I need and returning array. So I'm not littering my views with models that I don't need. So I went down from something like 170 models to 15 Wow! from this app that I was working on recently just because I only needed an ID and a name and I didn't need any of the, the, the behavior from the model in that view. So yeah, thanks for that. It's good to see that. We'll talk about it later in the show, the new version of Debug Bar, but it's good to see that the models are now in there and enabled by default. Yeah, that is pretty cool, actually. It's it's one of those things that were hidden previously uh, until Jonathan talked about it and uh made mm -hmm. it like a thing but like how many models you're actually hydrating is a pretty big pretty big deal and it was uh you know you could it could hide underneath of the whole oh i only have like five queries running no big deal right yeah it's it's so exactly yeah it kind of brings it more to the forefront which is great okay both simonson contributed container support for variadic arguments and then it says here's a simple example i will tell you it's not simple it is not simple it's not a simple <laughs> example it's probably i don't know 25 lines. I mean, so it, it simplifies something, but I'm not going to dare try and explain it on air. All I'll say is that it makes container support have variadic or it, it, it adds variadic arguments to uh, binding things into the container, right? So yeah. uh, there you go. You can take a look at that in the show notes. They've got some good examples of how that works. Uh, the pull request has all the details. So there you go. Uh, another HTTP client uh, add-on here. So Matt Kingshot contributed a has headers HTTP client method that enables you some syntactic sugar for checking the existing values of multiple headers, the existence of, of headers and their values. So you can assert that uh, when you sent a particular request that it had headers on it at the time that you sent it. So that's helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's most of it. Of course, we've got a couple fixes and changes outside of that, but that's all the additions. You can check out show notes for that, uh, or you can check out all the release notes for that in our show notes as well. There we go. That's 7.7. Seven. Okay, so we've got in addition to that, we've got a couple news items, uh, a tutorial, and then we've got one, two, three, four, five packages and updates. Uh, so let's talk about news here. What's going on with GitHub? Microsoft bought GitHub not too long ago. Uh, mm -hmm. I feel like they also didn't. Microsoft also buy like NPM or something recently. Yeah, they bought NPM, yeah. NPM JS. So the the whole NPMJS.com or whatever the, the site is, um, they announced that they had closed that purchase recently, which is, you know, I think everyone was really dubious when Microsoft first announced that they were acquiring GitHub and, and everyone was like, oh, you know, they're going to ruin it. But 
I think that was largely from people who hadn't been following along closely with the stuff that Microsoft has been doing under Satya Nadella um, and like all of the, the the shifts in the company and all of the new hardware that they're doing and, and all of the cool stuff they're doing with the, the operating system, you know, Windows and adding subsystem for Linux and integrating with Ubuntu and all of that kind of stuff. So there's there's a big push for it within that organization from what we can see on the outside. And and they've done a really good job with GitHub. They've been driving development. They've been adding new features. We've got GitHub Actions has been added. We've got the, the security checks and all of that for stuff. Free. Like all of this stuff yeah. has been added for free. Yeah. And the most recent addition is that GitHub is now free for Teams. So previously you and I, in order to have outside collaboration into some private repositories and not have to pay for it because we're not making any money for this, we were just using my we're using private repositories inside my github so you're able to do that and you could have it you know as many organizations as you want and things like that for free but if you wanted outside collaborators with your free repository uh, with your free private repositories you couldn't do it you had to pay for one of the the pay tiers so github announced big changes to pricing and plans and introduced a very generous free plan i will quote from their announcement here we're happy to announce we're making private repositories with unlimited collaborators available to all GitHub accounts. All of the core GitHub features are now free for everyone. Until now, if your organization wanted to use GitHub for private development, you had to subscribe to one of our paid plans. But every developer on earth should have access to GitHub. Price shouldn't be a barrier. This means teams can now manage their work together in one place, whether that's CI/CD, project management, code review, packages, and more. We want everyone to be able to ship great software on the platform developers love. Teams who need advanced features like code owners, enterprise features like SAML, or personalized support can upgrade to one of the paid plans. We're also reducing the price of our paid team plan from $9 per user per month to $4 per user per month, effective immediately. Existing customers will have their bills automatically reduced going forward. So it's um, if you're working on some some smaller things, you can make use of the teams. You can collaborate. You know, Jake and I are collaborating on some stuff at the moment, which means that we've got access to private stuff that's not in my account or in his account. It's in a separate organization so we can have that there. And so that when we start making some of those bits and pieces public, they'll already be under the that organization. So that makes things a lot easier. We're doing a lot of active development at the moment, which means we actually burnt throughout 2003 minutes of GitHub Actions already. And so I've had to slap the credit card down to to add, add on for some extra minutes. <laughs> but look, GitHub's doing some amazing things. Um, I've used Bitbucket in the past. We use GitLab at work and and GitHub is still my favorite in terms of collaboration. It's the most popular of all the open source things. You know, there's not a lot of open source packages that are really on GitLab. A lot of that is more around private stuff and, and work things and things like that. Not to say that GitLab isn't a good product, but there's just something about GitHub that feels like the home for open source in terms of all the features and, and functionality that you get and, and bringing everything in and the active development that they're getting and now at like really aggressive price points so that, you know, they're not just saying that it's for everyone. It's it's truly something that most people have the ability to access now. Um, so and this is the advantage you know, to being acquired by somebody like Microsoft. I, I read online that somebody on exactly. Twitter was saying like, yeah, since like the money that they were making off of GitHub was like practically a rounding error for like Microsoft's budget. Like there's why not we just mm-hmm. make it free. Right. And it's. Yeah, it, you're correct that it's like it's now, and it, I mean, it's always felt like that, like the home of open source. But now that it's free, it's like there's no reason to not use it, right? There's no excuse. Yeah. So, yeah, they're yeah. building up that monopoly. I mean, monopoly is like a dirty word, sort of, but 
they've got they, they've got it all under kind of one roof uh which is pretty incredible and they're just like you said they're just releasing more and more things for free for free for free and so it's it's mm. pretty incredible what they're doing there and you know too like i think maybe probably four years ago or something i was noticing some of the developers that they were snapping up it's really it was really crazy like really progressive and forward-thinking developers who are really really talented yeah. All of a sudden, like there's a bunch of them like working for Microsoft now. I was like, whoa, what in the world? What's going on? Right. So you yeah. could tell there was a lot of shifts kind of going on. And uh, now I think we're starting to see some of the fruit of those labors uh, over the last yeah. couple of years. So pretty cool. Yeah. I'm excited for the new Xbox coming out later this year as well. Yeah. <laughs> What's even so, though my darling, even though my darling wife says I don't need it, I said, of course I do. It's the new one. Yeah. It's the newest. I've got to have it. Right. And, and I can trade in my old one and all of my old games will still work on the new console. There's no downside here. See, I usually like skip a generation. I've got like the 360 still. Can you believe that? I mean, I think I think you've been sleeping through a couple of generations here. Have we? Oh, well, there's the Xbox One, right? Is the one that we that's out right now? Yeah, there's the, the so there was the 360, then there was the One. Yeah, we're out to the One X now, and now the next one that's coming out is the Xbox. The One X series. I X. thought that was just like the same yeah. one. It was just like a second version of the of the One. No, the, the, the One the One X is the 4K version. Oh God, so yeah. So it's video. not really. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay. So what's the next one called? I'm, I've I've read about think, it already, but I think it's the Xbox One Series X, or is it just the Xbox Series? Yeah, Xbox One Series X. Just how many words can they jam into the oh, name gosh. of this thing? But it's like a little, it's it's like when Apple brought out that trash can, yeah, Mac Pro. Well, this is the square trash can Xbox. It looks pretty cool. I don't know where I'd put it. It's not going to fit on the shelf with my Xbox is currently. Xbox One. It's a bit taller. Series. X. All right. How much is this bad boy going to cost? Oh, I see it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I've seen this. Oh, no, it's just Xbox Series X. There we go. Xbox Series X. Okay. I wonder what the price point on these bad boys are. Uh, I don't know. It does look like the trash can though, man. That's like exactly what it reminds me of. Like that whole, mm. the whole form mm. factor is exactly the same. Feels a lot like that. Yeah. They finally, look, the, the key thing, they're finally shipping it with an SSD. Nice. It's going to be a one terabyte yeah. SSD and it's going to be swappable. That's like, pretty cool. From, from the get-go. So... Coming holiday cool. 2020. All right, there you go. Okay, back to the show, everybody. Sorry about that. A little diversion. No big deal. Okay, PHP Storm 2020.1 is here. It was released earlier this week. It's the next major version of the popular PHP IDE environment. And the most significant areas of improvement and new features include out-of-the-box composer support, which I just recently actually installed the composer support for the version that I've been on, which I will say is quite handy. So when you're in composer.json, you kind of just hover next to the package that you're looking at and it'll tell you what version is currently installed which is kind of nice actually i've needed that a, a mm -hmm. few times where it's like well i know it's five dot you know tilde five dot one dot one but what version am i having installed right now so instead of having to go dig through my composer.lock file or do composer list in my command line or whatever you can just go right into your composer.json it uh handles auto completion for that as well which i know is sort of whatever uh but it's nice to kind of have some of those little hints as you're in your composer.json and typing like trying to remember like, is that repositories? What is that thing that I need to do when I'm pulling in private private dependencies? How do I do that? What? And it, uh, it just yeah. kind of makes sure it's like a sanity check. So it's kind of nice. Yeah. Uh, it's got improved type inference. Uh, it's got a PHP unit toolbox and then it's got grazy grammar checking. So it's always had like spell checking, but now it's got grammar checking as well, which I don't know, like meh. Like, sometimes those sorts of things are more of a pain than a help you know what i'm saying like mm -hmm. i don't know if you've ever experienced that like in a spell check it's like laravel is not a real word right so it's like 
Yeah. What you know, this is misspelled. No, it's not. Stop that. Stop warning me that's yeah. misspelled. Or when you make up your I'm own like sort of domain word, yeah. you know, to reference <laughs> something and it's like that's not a word. Like, yes, yeah. it is. Okay. My phone to this day will still autocorrect Laravel to Saracen. What? <laughs> what in the world? I was trying to type close enough. I was trying to type Fortnite the other night or something and it was not working. And oh and also when I type Mario, it it uppercases the entire thing. So I was trying to type the Mario Kart. Yeah. I was trying yeah, right. Mario Kart today and it uppercased like the entire word Mario. Like choop. Weird. Speaking of, if you haven't computers played, are hard. They are. Speaking of Mario Kart, if you haven't played the mobile version yet, you should. It's really cool. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Composer improvements. Okay, so we got those. Uh, you can create a new composer JSON that's backed by a template to get a new project started quickly, which is nice. Uh, editing your composer.json is really uh, intelligent now. Auto-complete for packages and versions, uh, versions, as I had said before. Quick icons and shortcuts for running composer scripts and shortcuts for installing and updating packages. Uh, it also has auto-completion while configuring your auto-loading. Uh, navigation improvements include click navigation from composer JSON to a vendor folder and URL navigation, which is nice. Uh, improved type inference. So PHP Storm now uh, will now highlight redundant var tags and does a much better job inferring types from for each loops and array functions like array map and array filter. So if you've used uh, PHP Storm for type hinting uh, previously, sometimes the the editor wouldn't pick up uh, a particular you know a particular class. So you'd have to do a little hack around like at var type int for it. So that the IDE would pick up, oh, that's what the class that is. And you just kind of like force it in there. Uh, but now you're it's it's basically getting you around that and it's doing a little bit better job of I'm sure it's using some sort of magic in the background to check these classes, but it'll figure it out a lot better now with Raymap array filter. It's also got improved ability to track null types. It's being more intelligent about when a variable can and cannot be null, which was previously annoying as well. PHP 2020.1 adds inspections and quick fixes that help you avoid errors and upgrade to PHP unit version nine more easily. So I've experienced a little bit of this pain previously. Upgrading to PHP unit version 9 had a couple little bugs, but you can create a test by moving the cursor over a class and using the alt option enter to select the create new PHP test action. So this is interesting. So if you have a class, but you don't have a test for it yet, now you can basically generate one really quickly uh, using this PHP unit toolbox, which is nice. Again, as we said, it's got a improved spelling and grammar checking experience using Grazy which is nice. And then it's also got this light edit mode and Zen mode. So it would combine a couple of these things like full screen mode and uh, distraction free mode. So instead of having to put one on and then put the other on, you can just do Zen mode and it'll do both of them at the same time. Full screen, distraction free. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's kind of nice. Uh, there's also a video uh, about what's new in PHP Storm uh, that you can check out. We'll put that in the show notes and the link to the post here. Thanks, Mr. Paul Redmond for summarizing that for us. Appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for uh, using PHP Storm like I am. It's the best. The absolute best. No, I'm just kidding. I know Michael takes issue with that. Shank in your chain, my friend. Okay. We've got a tutorial here from Jason Beggs, our good friend, Jason Beggs. What's going on with that? Yeah. So Jason has put out an article here about the Laravel first or new, first or create, first or and update or create methods. First or new, first or create, first or. First or I didn't know about. And what is first? There you go. 
But first on you is a useful method for finding the first model that matches some constraints or making a new one if there isn't one that matches those constraints. So if you're wanting to, for example, if you, if you don't know if something exists in your database, first on you will go and find that record and return it, or it will return you a new model. So that way you don't have to, so instead of using, say, for example, the null object thing, you know the thing? Null I object do, pattern. I know the thing, yeah. So instead of returning a null object, they just operates on it you can just return an empty user and automatically start working with that model as though you know and then it may not be relevant whether or not you care if it's an existing one or not you just want to update some fields in it and then save it so first on you is a good way of doing that um, and it'll return you a new model instance without doing anything in the database you also have first or create variant which will do the same check but if it doesn't find a record it will create one so first on you is if you want to get the record and then do something to it in your code. First or create is you've already got everything ready to go and you want to find the first one that already exists and then create the record there. Um, then you've got first or, which is a new one that new. Jason says here he's found while source diving. Yeah, the first cool. or method retrieves the first model from a query or if no matching model is found, it will call a callback, back, callback. It will call a callback that you pass into it. This can be useful if you need to perform extra steps in creating a user or want to do something other than creating a new user. So you could say um, user where email first or and then pass it a function and then it'll create an account, for example. So if you wanted to create an account and then you want to attach that to the new user that you create. So if you've got the user and then you've got a profile or an account or some other thing that attaches to it, um, the first or is a good tool for that. And then you've got the update or create method, which will find an existing record in your database and it will update it or it will create a new one. So if you want, if you're not sure if it's in the database, you can do, you know, user where email update or create, and then pass as a second parameter, the values that you want to update. So yeah, J James goes into, sorry, Jason goes into more details here in the blog post, which we will link to in the show notes. If you want more clarification on my stumbled explanations speaking of stumbled explanations here's another one for you so we've got this new package uh that is going to be it's not even a new package actually it's just something that's going to be merged into layer so taylor had talked about this on twitter mm, a couple weeks ago i think maybe uh so it's cleaning up migrations and speeding up your tests with the schema dump command i know that you've had some comments on this so you can probably chime in on this as well uh, but a new schema dump command will be released with Laravel 8 later this year. This command is useful for existing projects because it removes old migrations that you no longer need and speeds up the testing and CI process. So you've probably gotten to a point where you say, okay, we're, we're good up to now and just kind of using a snapshot of what our current database looks like, right? We don't necessarily mm -hmm. need to run through all 300 migrations that we've created over the last three years. We just need, here's the version that we're at right now. Boom, kind of snapshot that. And uh, how can we make that a lot faster? So that's basically what this does. So uh, add support for this new schema dump command, which uses MySQL dump or PG dump in the case of using Postgres to, to dump the current state of your schema to a database schema. And, and sorry, this is where it's located at database slash schema slash connection dash schema dot MySQL file. So when this file exists and the PHP artisan migrate or PHP artisan fresh is run and no migrations have run against the database yet, meaning the migrations table is empty. The schema file is loaded into the database first, and then any outstanding migrations will be run. So this means effectively that the schema file would typically only really ever be used during local development or during CI testing. 
uh, in production, you're typically already going to have migrations that have run in the past. So the schema file would never be triggered. But in the case that you're in local or in CI, it's going to speed this up, speed up your tests uh, a significant amount. And I think, Michael, you've previously had to do some like hack around some mm-hmm. of these things, right? Yeah, our situation is a little bit different. And I and I haven't really looked too much into the Laravel native thing. And I'm not sure that we'll be able to use it because we've got multiple database connections and multiple things. And we don't actually remove, I'm pretty sure this package or this functionality will remove your previous migrations where and, and like roll them all up into the, the schema dump. Whereas we keep all of the previous migrations as well as the, the schema file because we want to see the, the history. But for testing and for CI and things like that, the schema file is really useful because it means that you can like get the entire database created, you know, straight away without right. having to run through in in our instance four hundred different migrations. Yeah, um, and and that's quite slow. So with with the full full migration of four hundred files, four hundred migration files across six or seven different database connections, that was taking somewhere between sixteen and eighteen seconds. We got that all the way down to um, six seconds using a schema dump. And then we did a little bit of extra work around caching and things like that to get that right down to essentially as though you were running, you know, a handful of migrations locally in SQLite. Um, so our fir- time to first test in development environments now is around 200 milliseconds, which is probably around where you'd expect it to be. Because we just check to see, ha- have the migrations changed since the last time we ran them? And if not, then we just skip over running migrations and and just run everything in transactions because we know that the scheme is correct. Sure. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so this this feature really solves two problems. So number one, it, it so they say is after running schema dump and the schema dump file exists, you can remove old migrations that have made it to production. Really. So, you know, you're not going to ever in production drop and do migrate fresh, obviously. Like you're not going to do that in a production environment. Drop everything and start over right? That's not going to happen. Not on purpose. Right. Not not on purpose. Yeah. So being said, basically those old migrations may or may not hold value for your particular business, right? Uh, If you care to see kind of where a change was introduced or something, maybe, maybe, but maybe you're just as well just saying, yeah, we don't need those anymore. Just get rid of them. So Mm -hmm. it, it solves that problem, right? So it says it cleans up old migrations in the schema folder, which can get rather large on old projects. We've got a project that you've been uh, on Laravel since like version four or something, and you've been building yeah. up migrations for forever, uh, that thing can get quite cluttered. I'll do that. And then number two, the tests run faster because of the schema file. And Laravel doesn't need to execute all the migrations separately during testing. So it looks like it has a couple different flavors of how you run this or how you will be able to run it. So PHP artisan schema dump, or you can append dash dash prune, which I think cleans up all the old migration files that may just say like, Anything that we're doing right now, go ahead and delete all the old migration files and just kind of use this schema yeah. schema dump. Uh, and then you can also uh, specify the connection name at the end. So dash dash database equals and then the connection name that you want to use. So this has been mm-hmm. merged into the master branch, which means it'll be available in Laravel 8. Uh, and you can learn more about this feature. But the best place to look is the pull request, uh, which will be in the show notes. So pretty cool. That's uh, That was created by the creator himself, Mr. Taylor Otwell. So first class support on that one. Yeah. All right. Uh, we've got this Telegram Laravel Forge bot. Are you a Telegram user, my friend? I'm a Telegram user. There's a lot of us now. I, I, I was writing. I was reading just today, and a. Um, let me just pull it up here because I think 
across like 400 million users or, or something. Or, yeah. Is that right? Yeah, 400 million users. users. Yeah. Yeah, so I didn't get the update in the desktop app, but I saw it come through in the in a mobile application yeah, saying same. that they've crossed 400 million active users, which is it's just incredible. Like yeah. these are, you know, people that are now working from home and things like that and and they're now on that. So, here we go. 400 400 million users, 20,000 stickers, a new version of the quizzes app and uh, a 400,000 euro for creators of educational tests. So maybe we'll we'll link to their blog post in the show notes for that. But this um, article here about the Laravel Forge bot, Ivan Torgov has created a Laravel Forge bot for Telegram that allows you to manage your Laravel, Laravel Forge servers and sites. Quoting here from Ivan, when I started to use Laravel Forge, I found that it couldn't send deployment notifications to Telegram. Also, I wanted to allow running deploy or view deployment log to my teammates, but I didn't want to share a password of my Laravel Forge account so I decided to develop the bot to solve these problems. Here are the things that you can do with the bot. You can reboot a server, reboot MySQL, Postgres, Nginx, and PHP, and you can list view a list of your sites. For each site, you can run the deployment scripts or get the latest deployment log right in your Telegram. Note that you can set sending notifications not only to you, you can set sending notifications to any chat you want, for example, using the ability... And then one member of your team will change, manage servers in the private chat with the bot, but all members will receive deployment notifications in a team chat. Um, you can even use the bot in a group and all members will be able to make any available operations. The source code of the bot is available on GitHub. We will have links to that in the show notes. Which this is interesting because what it, the, the way it sounds like he's using it is not as necessarily maybe like a replacement for Slack, but it's kind of an additional communication channel uh, for mm-hmm. their team, which... Up to this point, I would say mm, that sounds like a little bit difficult with Telegram because you might have different channels that you're kind of managing things in. But with this latest release, they also have the ability to create folders. So in Telegram, you can now create folders to group chats together. So chat channels together, yeah. which is pretty interesting. So you could have like a work channel and then you could have all your different or a work folder and then have all your different work channels in there. So it almost like a Slack sort of deal, right? Yeah. Uh, where you have like different Slack workspaces and then you have all your channels that are in there. So that's interesting. You might actually be able to use it as like a Slack replacement now if you cared to. Yeah. I tell you what, I, I've been away from work for two weeks and going back tomorrow, there is a lot of unread Slack messages. There is lots of bold white in channels and hundreds of unread flipping notifications that I'm not looking for. I'm going to lose a day just trying to catch up on Slack. Oh. I think I'm just going to declare bankruptcy and Delete. mark all as red. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's some in there from our exec. Maybe I'll read the ones from our exec team and scrap the rest. There you go. That's a good one. No one needs no one needs to catch up on two weeks worth of asynchronous communication. If it was really, really important, they'll they'll reach out to you again, right? Yeah. That'll be the hundreds of emails that I need to read. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's the other one. Whew. Boy, I hate that stuff. It's the worst. Yeah. I just I just had yeah. to go through in my work inbox and just clean out everything too, just the other day. It just takes so much time. Select all delete. There you go. That's what I did on the first of January. Well, First day I went back to work this year, I just grabbed all of my email and hit delete on it. That was that must Whatever have been a nerve wracking moment. No, select all delete. Thank you. <laughs> new year, new me. <laughs> hey, there you go. We, my inbox, said, my we, choice. We said earlier, we that's right. We we said earlier in in the episode we're going to talk about the new version of debug bar. Yeah, and so I'm going to let you do that. Okay, so Laravel debug bar, debug bar UI got a big UI update thanks to the work of Tristan Muchet. Uh, so it's made a lot cleaner and more consistent and clear. Uh, Barry, uh, Huevel, 
Huevel? How do you spell his name? Van de Huevel. Van de Huevel. As asking if you spot any issues or feel, feel free to submit a PR. But yeah, it does look gorgeous. Looks really, really nice. So if you're new to Laravel or if you haven't used this package before, it integrates uh, the PHP debug bar, which is not Laravel specific, with Laravel, which is why it's called Laravel debug bar. And it provides a ton of useful development information conveniently in your browser. It kind of sits along the bottom of your browser, just as a little stripe, and then you can expand it at any time and get a bunch of insights into what's going on in your application. So the project readme outlines some custom collectors useful for Laravel development. So these are added just for us Laravel devs. So there's the query collector, all queries, including bindings and the timing, how long it took to get those queries back. You have a route collector, which shows information about the current route. And I believe it also shows all the routes that were called in like the current, well, is there only ever going to be one? No, like, so if you have like an Ajax call in addition, I think it also will uh, will push push that into your route collector as well. A view collector, yeah. which shows all the currently loaded views. It will display the shared data. An events collector, which shows all events. Uh, apart from the core collectors, it includes a bunch of useful collectors that you can optionally enable like logs, files, symphony requests, config, cache, all those sorts of items. And then as uh, we mentioned previously, it also pulls up now all of the models that were created, I believe, as well. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a big improvement. And it's something, like we said before, that was previously not really up in your face available, uh, but a pretty important metric. If you don't understand why that might be, then you could probably go back and watch Jonathan Rennick's talk at Laracon 2019 in New York City. And he had a great talk and um, showed kind of why that was important. Uh, so that's pretty cool. All right, that is Laravel Debug Bar. Next, we have passing named handler arguments to middleware in Laravel. And this was by, I read this article, it was by uh, Tim McDonald, your fellow Aussie, right? Yeah. Yes, indeed. Has parameters is a Laravel package by Tim McDonald to pass arguments to middleware in a more PHP-ish way. Uh, there is an example of the primary usage found in the project's readme, but the following is a simplified example of what Laravel's throttle requests might look like. Uh, you can have in your handle method uh, a request, a next closure, max attempts, decay minutes, and a prefix of an empty string. Uh, you can configure the middleware in a route. And as you can see from the example, which you can't see unless you read the show notes, the package provides a with method for your middleware that will take care of working with parameters that have default values. The readme outlines additional benefits of using this package. Has parameters will also improve static analysis and IDE support, allowing you to specify arguments by referencing the parameter name and enables skipping optional parameters which fall back to their default value and add some validation so you don't forget any required parameters by default. And so this package, if you've got you know three or four parameters in your middleware and you want to update the you want to set the third value, but you want to keep the defaults you have to pass, you have to know what the default values are and you have to pass them into your middleware just to set the third value. So the uh, has parameters package will allow you to basically pass an array and it uses a little bit of reflection to figure out what the defaults are and things like that for you. So you only need to pass in the new values. So definitely check that out if you want to look at a cleaner way uh, of dealing with that. I hope one day to see that brought into the framework. Okay. So uh, this last thing that we have is called Red Axios. Uh, it's a fetch wrapper with an Axios API. So it's an NPM model by Jason Miller that provides a middle ground solution when you want to have a lightweight Axios-like API wrapper around the fetch API, which most modern browsers support. Uh, so Axios has, a, Axios has a great API that 
a lot of us use. Uh, Axios is used a lot with all of our view stuff, and it makes a very familiar sort of axios.get or .post or whatever, and sets a lot of the, the default things that you would otherwise have to set up yourself. Uh, but it provides that, and Red Axios provides that same API in 800 bytes, and it uses the native wow. fetch behind the scenes. So for those searching for ways to shave a few Ks off of their bundles, that's less than a fifth of the size of Axios. And this is all made possible by using the browser's native fetch API, which is supported in all modern browsers and polyfilled by most tools, including Next, Create React App, and Preact CLI. So Jason Miller is also behind some other awesome minimal JS projects, such as Preact, Microbundle, Mitt, and HTM, to name a few. You can read more about this package and get full installation instructions and view the source code at developit slash redaxios. The one thing that I've noticed or that I heard some people saying about this is I don't think this includes interceptors, which I think Laravel uses uh, in the default bootstrap.js to put on a CSRF token for for each request. So that might be a tiny bit of a deal breaker. If you're you're wanting to, I guess what I'm saying is it's not a one-to-one swap out. It does say it has the same mm-hmm. API, right? But there are some features that are removed, yeah. obviously, to get around some of the some of the size of the work otherwise. So um, little things like that. But I know that there are times where I don't have view in a project, for example, and I don't really feel like yeah. pulling in, a, you know, a, a Axios or whatever. So you might just use fetch, right? But with this, it's yeah. like 800 bytes. Like, man, just pull it red Axios in and, and have yeah. the API feel of Axios, but be able to use fetch. Yeah. Fetch is definitely nice because it's native, but... If you're dealing with JSON responses, it's a bit nice. Yeah, it is. You've got to like then, fetch then. dot then get the response and then return the JSON from that and then right. do then it's again. Very, yeah, it's odd. Like it comes back as um, a promise and then you have to resolve the promise to get the JSON and then you have to resolve the promise again, return yeah. the thing returned from that. Yeah. yeah, it's a little bit weird. Which is fine, but it like saved me having to bring in another dependency into this app, which I don't think actually uses NPM for any of its dependencies that I'm working on at the moment. And so there's just some JavaScript sprinkled about blade files at the moment yeah which i'm gonna leave because i'm too scared to change anything unless it breaks yep i tried to make it i tried to make it nicer by removing some redundant models and then i just realized that doing that would break a whole bunch of other stuff that relies on those models existing so i just backed out of that yep it's like not worth it but i i think i've deleted 60 files or something out of this project so far and just like all of these random migrations that were constantly building up like adding one field at a time yeah oh gosh really So now there's just like why would you do that yourself well, not like not one file and then another one. It was like add a thing and then go and change another table and then going back and change that first table. So I just like took all of those separate migrations yeah. and then combined it into one, like the initial create table. Yeah. And then removed all the things that weren't needed. When this application was built, it was designed to be used for two different use cases, like either event A or event B. And it was just a whole bunch of config options to switch between them. But since I took the project over, I've separated and I'm like, okay, here's the event A code base and here's the event B code base and they're different enough that we're not going to muddy them up together and now like I only have to get into the mind space of like one That's so project helpful, at a though. time. Yeah, because you don't have to be wondering like, okay, which one is this going to affect now? Which, which, yeah, which, yeah that makes like sense. if I change this and then like trying to put stuff between one and the other and then which config options need to be turned on for this one and which ones need to be turned on for that one and what do I... Yeah, it's a freaking mess. I just... Just deleting a whole bunch of if statements and that's so nice. It's um, it's been gnarly, and and I did a bit of work. Wilbur Parry actually suggested that I use File Pond, um, which is yeah, which is really used, nice. He's used it's, that in a couple of our light, stuff. It's it's kind of clean. Um, I spent 
like the better part of a day trying to fire events out of file pond to be caught by Alpine in order to set like the IDs of the files that I had uploaded to S3. And eventually I just gave up on it and I thought, you know, I'll just go and work on the the form request and the validation and all that kind of stuff. And I'll just come back to this later. And as it turns out, FilePond handles that automatically yep. for you. And so you sure. upload the file and it will set the ID of the input as like the file ID that I, and like I spent a day trying to figure this out only to find out that FilePond just does it yeah, for me. That's why FilePond is so awesome. It really is. It's pretty incredible. It's a great uploader. And yeah. And the, um, the, the, the maintainer of that project was really responsive on Twitter as well. Um, he was really helpful in in helping me sort a few things out. So some of the documentation's a bit iffy, I got to say. Um, if you don't know what you're looking for, or some of the options aren't necessarily clear, uh, at least initially, they're they're in there. They're just buried in a couple of different places that I wouldn't expect them to be. So once I got past all of that, it was it was pretty good. But I managed to have a really thin wrapper over it all. Um, and, it, and it works really well. So nice. the only thing is because you're uploading directly to S3, you can't really do any validation of those mm, file uploads. Okay, so you sure. can't use Laravel as file validator. So I've, I've just had to throw that into in the form request. I do like a, after validating the rest of the form, I use the with validator method and then just go and do some checks against the stuff that I've stored for those files in the database. So make sure that the MIME types match and things like that. But yeah, it's it's a lot nicer than having to like upload the files to the local server and then upload yep. them to S3. And then like from S3, I need to pull them down and put them into Vimeo because then Vimeo processes the video files so that they can be embedded for playback because you can't just like upload a MOV or a right. MP4 and then just expect it to play back in the browser. Yeah, so it sounds so, like probably you've also got some pretty large file sizes that you're dealing with too. And that makes it really nice that you're uploading straight to S3 as well. Yeah. Because it means it's like already there and I don't have to worry about like uploading, you know, downloading two gig to my server and then uploading two gig again. Exactly. You know, because it's a four gig round trip there. So yeah, just dump it straight onto S3 and then I can instruct like once that, once the submission is submitted, once the file is uploaded rather, I can then go, hey, Vimeo, go and download this file and ingest it. And then I just check every 15 minutes because they don't do any webhooks or anything like that. And once they finish processing the video, I can just store the embed code and then we just display the video once it's once it's processed. So it's, be- it's, a, be- it's an intri- intricate little web of functionality, but dance. it's but it's nice. Yeah. But it yeah, I I I built it with Laravel, but I think we're past the end of the show and it's one o'clock for you. So let's wrap this one up. It is. Hey everybody, thanks so much for listening for episode two, episode one seventeen of the show. You can find show notes for this episode at podcast.laravel-news.com slash 117. Uh, if you like the show, please feel free to rate it up in your podcatcher of choice. Five stars would be amazing. What would be even more amazing would be sharing it with your friends, with your family. You're so passionate about it. You're going to share it with your family um, and all your other people that you know. Tell them how amazing it is and have them listen. Have them give a listen. No, not yeah. really. Don't have to share it with that many people. But seriously, give us a retweet or something like that on Twitter. That'd be great. Of course, if you want to talk to us, hit us up on Twitter. That's probably the best place to do so at Michael Dorinda at Jacob Bennett. We're at Laravel News. And until next time, my friends, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay six feet away. And don't be complacent. There. Don't be complacent either. All right, everybody. See ya. See ya. Bye.